0: Hello, Mark here. If you haven't seen Rogue One yet and you want to stay spoiler free, I would advise to listen to this podcast after you've seen it. Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 33 of Nerdology. With me today, I have Mr. Simon Brett. Hello. And Rob Irwin. G'day, listeners. Thank you both for joining me, guys. We thought we'd get together and have a little chat about a a little film that's just come out called Rogue One. So, um, expectations, guys. When you first heard about this sort of splinter offshoot from the main sort of story, if you like... um, What were your initial reactions? I'll go to Rob first.
1: I was very excited because I was a long-time reader of the uh, Extended Universe novels, and Mm. in the Extended Universe, I particularly liked the novels that didn't concentrate so much on the main characters. I'm thinking Mm. of a series in particular called um, X-Wing, where aside from Wedge Antilles, uh, and say, say some cameos from the looks and hands of this galaxy, it was generally a new bunch of people getting around in X-Wings, having adventures. Um, they split off and had a, another squadron called Wraith Squadron that did a lot of espionage-type stuff. And I thought, hey, this could be very similar to the X-Wing books and the kind of books in general I like, where it's more about what the, the smaller people in the universe are doing. Not the dwarves, but the, uh, mm-hmm. the lesser characters. <laughs> and I, I got instantly excited from that moment.
2: And what about you, Simon? Um, I'm less of an extended universe person, um, probably down to time, <laughs> in, in as much mm, as I, yeah. I, I adored the films. Um, I used to get the comic, but the comic used to constantly disappoint me, the old Marvel comic. Um, so I kind mm. of just focused on the on the films and maybe the books, because I kind of figured that, that somewhere along the line, it had all gone through jo- I think as long as it had gone through George Lucas's head, I took it on that that was canon. So... Mm. Um, yeah, I've never really had time for the extended universe stuff. So I mean, when when I first heard, obviously there was the double whammy, wasn't there? Because I think it came through as a whole big thing that that Disney were going to put out these, as well as three more actual episodes. There was going to be these films in between as well. So it was it was a heck of a lot to take on board hmm. in one go. Um, but yeah, uh, much like Rob, quite quite excited. Um, I kind of hoped it wasn't going to dilute things too much, and that it was going to all be quite cohesive. Well, there is that
0: fear, isn't there? Because I mean, Marvel have done a overall a pretty decent job of, you know, they it's although it's a production line, on the whole, it doesn't feel like um, they're going for quantity over quality, and um, I'm guessing that's the sort of template for for what they're hoping to achieve with the Star Wars movies.
2: Mm. I mean, I've I've heard people I've heard people say this production line that Marvel do, uh, and in and in turn Disney, um, you know, literally saying, "Oh, it's this machine that just pumps out films all the time." And I think, mm-hmm. I think if you actually watch them, you'll realise that it doesn't really work like that. And and certainly each project is is treated individually. And I would hope the same would happen with Star Wars.
0: I have to say, I've been looking at the reactions online, and they're generally very favourable. I've seen one or two comments about people saying, well, this is the movie they wanted episode seven to be, Um, which I don't quite see so much. But certainly in in my mind, this is much more going way back what I think a lot of fans were hoping from the prequels, um, which is a whole other story. I don't know what you guys think about that.
1: I guess, I guess what you're saying there, or what they might be saying, is that this feels more Star Wars, perhaps, than the prequels, mm, yeah. or, the, or the Star Wars they have in their head, at least, and that's maybe why they would mm. have liked the prequels to have been like this, just because it feels more Star Wars. Yeah. I but think, I, I, to yeah. me,
0: to me, Episode Seven was quite refreshing because for the first time in I don't know how long, I think we touched upon this when we talked about this last time, Rob. It felt like you didn't know where things were heading, and that there was a a certain enjoyment from that. Um, I don't know. I've- there's
2: there's um I, again um, without spending this podcast defending things all the time. I I, I think one of the big criticisms of uh, Force Awakens was oh it's too similar to the old ones, and oh it's virtually the same story as the as the as the first film and all this sort of thing, and. Sort of think well that there is, there is a, a, a kind of a, a template of sorts mm-hmm. for the for the for the saga films. They do run in certain cycles, yeah. and that's that's the whole thing of this mythic uh, long sort of long standing story that's supposedly been told for hundreds of years, and from hundreds of years from now, that that, that it will always kind of feel that way the stories will always be kind of tied to that to a certain degree mm. and I think what The Force Awakens did was it did get things back on track and it also it kind of almost got people back on board and it got yeah. a new audience it got the old audience, it got the new audience there were a few people who said oh it should have done all the stuff that they're saying Rogue One is doing mm-hmm. well that's an awful lot for one film to do after yeah. all this time, that's a lot, that's a big that's a big ask for one movie and I think the force awakens for me as good as it was, it was doing a job, mm. so I think you know I think things will will improve from now on, and I think the force awakens needed to be what it was in order that we did get rogue one and and that that yeah. did work I think um, that's the
0: benefit of having these spin offs is that you can perhaps go to as Rob was sort of intimating you can go to different um places narratively than you might have been able to do in the in the sort of what people regard as the canon.
1: Yeah, the the Saga movies definitely have a a, a feel and a flow. I mean when we think of the next one, I'm I'm not being spoiled on it at all, I know nothing about it, but you've got to assume the uh the Imperial Remnant will uh will fight back after they've had their super mm-hmm. weapon destroyed. Ray is obviously off to be trained, like Luke was in Empire Strikes Back. There are gonna be so yeah. many parallels to Empire Strikes Back, we can already safely say right now, a year out before we podcast about it probably, it's gonna be a bit like Empire Strikes Back, and that's not a surprise, although some people mm-hmm. will act very surprised when it happens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I mean nobody's complained about the amount of limbs that are getting chopped off have they I mean that was <laughs> there's an inconsistency there now I think of it you mm-hmm. know those things have always been happening the, 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 all the little lines that come out I have a bad feeling about this you know which was which was a brilliant moment in Rogue One mm-hmm. um, I mean know- there's a
0: lot of fan service in, in that movie um, which for the most part I quite enjoyed there were the odd one or two, I thought, ah, oh, it feels a little bit kind of shoehorned in, but on the whole, you know, it, I think it worked.
1: Which which ones do you think were shoehorned in? For me, if any of them, it was possibly the fellas from the cantina in A New Hope popping up and running into them in the street.
0: Well, on, upon leaving the screening, me and Simon went to a, a midnight screening um, and I had to be at work about half an hour after that, so that was probably not the best idea I've ever had. But uh, (laughs) um, I mentioned, as we were sort of having a bit of a chat, I think we were both quite positive. um, We were talking about one or two little things, and to me, it seemed, I don't know, with C-3PO and R2-D2 having made their little cameo, I know they've been in every movie, so there's that sort of continuity that perhaps people are expecting, but I wasn't sure that was really necessary
2: mm, mm, I agree I, I, it was kind of like it was clinging on to the continuity it's mm. like well we, we're an intelligent audience we can work out that this is happening all at the same time so we didn't need as kind of nice as it was the 3PO and R2 thing was quite um, I don't know what the word is. it's not clumsy but it, it felt it didn't feel particularly subtle <laughs> mm-hmm. and like you say yeah the bit in the crowd with the with the guy from the cantina um
0: i actually quite enjoyed that i thought that was quite fun yeah
1: yeah. oh yeah yeah, it was fun and it was surprising it was like oh look who they've put in but uh, later after i thought about it i thought did they really need that oh i don't know whereas other fan servicey things perhaps like having grand moff tarkin in there so extensively was um was a little different
0: so Mm -hmm. i'm just intrigued to know um the the two of you were you sort of um relatively spoiler free going into this or had you had plot points ex- explained to you before um going into the theater let we start with rob first
1: i deliberately tried to be as unspoiled as possible um i'm not one of these people who are like oh no i don't want to know anything you know if i had learned mm-hmm. something uh, fine but but I wanted to have a different experience to The Force Awakens where, I don't know if anyone remembers from one of my podcasts or blogs mm-hmm. around the time, I basically called the plot scene for scene about a day or two yep, out from Yeah, I the movie, remember that. Uh, because I had read so much and I'd been on spoiler sites and I literally knew what was going to happen. I thought, I want to have mm-hmm. a different experience this time. That said... <laughs> the running joke is you always know how this is going to end. They find the Death Star plans because we've seen that you yeah. know, back in 1977. So there mm-hmm. are bits of this movie where you know they happen and there are bits mm-hmm. where you assume they happen. For example, just knowing that the team could get wiped out because they don't have to fulfill any roles in later films and, yeah. hey, that's what happened. Mm.
2: Simon? That was that was quite funny because that's the one thing I read about a day before I saw the film. Uh. was you had one really, well, you know, I'm not going to even use a word. So there was a thread on a Force Awakens thing and somebody piped up in the middle of it all and said, you do all know that everyone dies. And I and I, I took it with a mm. pinch of salt because I remember reading the, a newspaper article. There was a big double spread, spread uh, newspaper article in 1983, just before Return of the Jedi came out, which basically said that everyone dies in Return of the Jedi. So I think I've seen that story appear yeah before every film since then (laughs) so i just took i took it with a certain pinch of salt but i did sort of think to myself hmm theoretically that could happen um but i know that we've sort of had various other characters in theory have disappeared off the Mm. face of the galaxy um you know there's still talk of mace window isn't there and uh oh really yeah it was um sorry uh Trying to catch up with Clone Wars. See, this is one thing I, mm. I haven't even watched all of the Clone Wars. So, is it Ahsoka? Is that the the character's name, Rob?
1: Uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. Did yeah.
2: She d- disappear and then turn up again, she, or something.
1: She, I, I never finished Clone Wars myself, but I know she gets kicked out of the Jedi Order and reappears in Star Wars Rebels as an older character.
2: Ah, right. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah.
1: But uh, in terms of Mace Windu, I heard this during the week. I know there are many uh, Snoke theories on who Supreme Leader Snoke is. In, uh, mm-hmm. in the new saga films, and I was at work, and um, this lady I work with said, her son thinks he is Mace Windu, uh, who survived <laughs> that fall and got all distorted <laughs> by the Force lightning, of course, and, and he is Snoke. And I said, oh, that's quite imaginative, but uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> there are about 10,000 Snoke theories out there, to the point where my mate Steel Saunders, who does a uh, podcast called Steel Wars, uh, has made a sticker which he gives out at conventions, and it says "Your Snoke theory sucks," <laughs> <laughs> and it's done in the old Kenner logo that they used to put on the toys. It's really funny. He's handed nice. out hundreds, if not thousands, of these stickers to promote his podcast. Yeah, your Snoke theory sucks.
2: <laughs> excellent, excellent.
1: I, as far as that's concerned, I, I'm
2: just convinced it's it's nobody we've seen on screen before. Mm. It can't be. No,
0: I don't think so either. No, I think it's an I think it's an original character. Well, the, the 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 kind of spoiler thing came to my mind because um i suppose in the back of your head you, it's he's got to crop up somewhere but it was quite a surprise to see Tarkin pop up um early on in the movie um how, how did you guys feel
2: that came across do you think it worked um well when I, when he first appeared on screen mm-hmm. um much like Rob, I was very unspoiled really. Um, I literally thought we were gonna see the back of his head and possibly a reflection in the window and that was gonna be mm-hmm. it. So to have him actually turn around and then start acting as well was quite something. Yeah. Um and I think I said to you, Mark, afterwards is that um with the CGI there was that, that there was the uncanny valley thing going on very yeah. slightly. You know, it was only every now and again it was certain angles of his head. Certainly the movement was very good yeah. because a lot of the time the lips in CGI are are almost too smooth, mm. aren't they? They don't quite I
0: think they pulled it off really well. I thought I think
2: they did. I actually found the voice more distracting than the face. Hmm. Mm. What did um, you think, Rob?
1: Yeah, look, I I was blown away by it because I had been thinking leading up to the film that he would be essentially replaced in this film by Ben Mendelsohn's um, character. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Ben Mendelsohn character was in there as director Kranick. He'd be in charge of the Death Star because, hey, well, they can't get Peter Cushing anymore, so yeah. it's Ben Mendelsohn. And then all of a sudden to have him appear, I was really surprised, stunned by it. And apparently it had been out there for a year that he was in the film. I'd completely missed all of that. Um, that's how unspoiled I was for this film, surprisingly. And I was I was delighted. I, I thought it was great. I think uh, it's very under wraps how they did it. I hope it comes out on a DVD extra or something. Mm. I, I think they've had a real actor on set and they've probably had the dots all over his face and then just put a sort of a yeah. mask over his face digitally, which is perhaps why the lips go so well, because they're based on real lips. They're not just doing it in, in computer. So mm. uh, I, I thought it was great. I, I really had no problem with it
0: yeah I was i was really impressed
2: I really you know I accepted it by the end of the film I'd accepted it hmm which was i mean how much how are we are we just are you gonna put this podcast out as a complete spoil zone so we, i'll we, I'll we put can something on the front it. i'll yeah. put
0: something on the front end just to say this has got major plot spoilers so, so well, I mean, I listen to it it's a shame it. in
2: some respects to kind of reveal the very end of the film so early in the podcast but the the uh the reveal at the end felt a little bit like, oh, you've seen what we can do with Targan, now have a look at this. And yeah. I don't, and I don't think it worked as well.
0: No, I don't. I, d- I just feel like they could have left it with just a shot of her back, and that would have been perfectly okay with me. Mm. Um, I mean, in one respect, it was you know, again, quite impressive, but I just don't think, like you said, you mentioned Uncanny Valley, and I think that did come across with, with the Leah character. What did you think, Rob?
1: Yeah, definitely not as, as convincing. And I, um, I was hoping it was going to be Carrie Fisher's daughter, who everyone says looks a lot like her. And I think she does to some degree. Uh, in fact, when she was getting, when she was cast for The Force Awakens, she has a few little, little roles in that, or a little role in that, I should say. Uh, Mm -hmm. people assumed when they first heard that, that she was playing Leia in a flashback. Uh, which didn't turn out to be the case. So I thought if they were going to get anyone to play her, it might have been her daughter, but no, no. Um, <laughs> it was someone else. It was an actress. I saw her name in the closing credits. I don't recall it now. And again, perhaps CGI superimposed over a, a real face, but just, yeah, just not as convincing. In fact, uh, mm. the Doc, doc Hume who we all know, has referred to it as a Cabbage Patch Kid face. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. That's harsh, but yeah
2: pretty accurate um <laughs> yeah it's, it's strange when you think with obviously we've got the Han Silo movie on its way and we know that that's been recast so mm. why not do the same I don't know I don't know yeah
0: but she was I don't, there I don't want it to come across that we're completely negative because um I, I did enjoy it I really did come out of it feeling I, I quite enjoyed that um with a Personal highlights for you guys. Um, if we start with
2: Simon first this time, well, the moment when I my fanboy moment uh, when I thought, "Oh my god, this is so good," and this is, I'm completely back in Star Wars was when they landed on Yavin Four, and and there was the hangar with all the ships and everything, and it was like, "God, that is so good! That is so accurate!" Um, and that's kind of what sold it. It did. It felt it felt slightly slow at the start course, market didn't help that we had a couple of girls talking behind us in the cinema.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Cinema etiquette. It's, you know, it's pretty basic, really. You get a big announcement on the screen saying, it's time for the main event. Now switch off your phones, finish your conversations. It's time to enjoy the film.
2: Never mind the um, fact that we were there at midnight.
0: Ugh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that someone's paid good money to go to a midnight screening and they're talking through the first sort of five, ten minutes of the film. And in the end, I just had to turn around and say... Would you mind stop talking, please?
2: You were very polite, but you were firm.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of frustrating when you're trying to watch the movie. Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, that that was. That, um, I think that that was the point where it, I can't think how far into the film that was. It was a fair way in, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think just overall, the, the fact that it felt like it was in the Star Wars universe and it was behaving kind of i don't know it was rob probably feels the same it felt it felt like the film you always knew they could make if they wanted Mm. to and they never did and now Mm -hmm. they've got the abilities to do that um and you know it's almost too much to take in in some respects but it does i've read one very small review which sort of said about it feels like a real film and you can you can rate this like rather than because we 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 recently got asked by um jr on the blue box podcast we recently got asked to give our sort of top 10 favorite films Mm. and i don't tend to stick star wars in there because it doesn't operate in the same level and by that i don't mean that you sort of make excuses for it but you know if somebody says to me oh a new hope. That's a that's not actually a really very good film at all. I, in fact, none of them are particularly good films. And I like I'm like, well, it's Star Wars. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this you this you could actually stick alongside any other movie, and people could probably watch this out, you know, without having seen a Star Wars film, and could probably get a fair amount from it. You know, it does operate really well just on a film level because it's been extracted from that saga thing and from that whole, like you say, that cycle. Those parallels, mm. it doesn't rely yeah. on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, think that's- also
0: what helps is, as, although we mentioned the sort of CGI efforts, um, I think Rob mentioned this in in the review that he did for for the Doctor Who show. Um, it, it felt grounded in reality because you've got real actors wearing real armor, and it just there is a certain uh, realism that you can get through that that CGI can't quite manage. Would you say, Rob?
1: That is a very neat segue into when I got very excited about the film. It was uh, in those street scenes where you had stormtroopers pursuing Mm -hmm. um, Cassian Andor and his informant uh, through the streets. And I thought, holy hell, this is the original stormtrooper armor on film again, and it's for real. You know, I (laughs) I got a sense of that in Force Awakens where you had real guys in stormtrooper armor, but of course it's modern stormtrooper armor. Mm -hmm. And I got a sense of it in Star Wars Rebels, where you've got the original Stormtrooper armor, albeit quite a stylized version of it, running around, although that's animated. But here, finally, at last, the original armor, for real, on screen, I was like, this is great, this is great. And then, of course, that continued all through the film, the Yavin scenes, like Simon mentioned. And, and of course, when all the squadrons report in at the end of the film, and there's blue and gold and red uh, squadron, I was like... Oh wow. And yeah, just I've said it before today but again it was just pornography for me as a Star Wars fan. Just utter pornography. We uh I think we all laughed.
2: I think the whole line of us, there's about five of us went, I think we all laughed when um when Red Leader made his appearance. Yeah. And we suddenly oh, yeah. realized they were taking little Biggs was there as well, wasn't he? Was Biggs there? I think he was.
1: I don't recall Biggs. I was uh, looking out for Porkins myself. Oh yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Oh, it was just, it was just. That that was we 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 just all laughed because it was kind of ridiculous, but at the same time it just worked. So um, I don't know. I don't know what they did there. I don't know whether they dubbed over new lines or whether they literally had lines from from Star Wars in there. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, I don't know it just the, the stuff worked didn't it it really did it, 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 there are some criticisms that it, that it has kind of played to the fans a little bit too much you know a little bit too much continuity and that sort of thing but but it worked and i think it was done so beautifully it's funny you say about the the fact that there's real actors and suits and all that sort of thing that was that was great um but also like when the attacks turned up um yeah i just yeah. i i just accepted that they were there and they were attacks
1: you know, uh, it was it was just real, um, exactly. And we're seeing them in the, in a new environment. We we're very, we're very used to seeing them on Hoth, and of mm-hmm. course there was there was one on Endor, but we didn't really see it doing much. I think it was pretty much parked at the uh, the landing pad. Yeah, um, they they used a lot more of the ATSTs in um, in the battle for Endor, but here to see it walking along the beach, a beach, a beach in Star Wars, what? <laughs> this is great.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's in the um ATS going going through the going through the town as well. Yeah. You just accepted it. And it and the beauty of it was they got it moving like
1: like yeah. the original uh, fast mm-hmm. motion
2: animation. It, it yeah. had the same characteristics of movement. Just the attention to detail was just just awesome. It was off the scale. It really was. Mm-hmm. Um yeah.
0: I really enjoyed the I think as a rule, as a collective, I think the ensemble uh, that made up this, the Rogue One team overall were were very good. Um, the standout, I think Simon said this as well, we went to see it, Was for for me, was the droid. I keep wanting to call him KRS-One, but that's that's my name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I thought he was great. I'm going to call him that from now on, though. That is
2: my... That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, he was really good. They, I mean they gave him all the best lines. I mean yeah. I, I did I've heard again I've heard some criticism that the the pacing of the movie changes about halfway through. That may be true, but I don't think that's a fault. The the, the thing I thought was that the characters didn't necessarily come alive till about halfway through mu- the movie. But then you're talking these personalities who where well, they are going to be withdrawn and they are going to be fairly machine-like because they are you know they, they are characters of that of warfare you know so they, they don't give away much and it's only when they kind of get together in the group that they start showing their colors you know particularly the central character who's obviously you know who's, who's learned to survive and and he's probably hiding away a lot of emotions so you're not going to get much from them um so the the kind of the droid is there to to break that up and um, so I think I think the more <laughs> I'm kind of talking myself into it, I cannot wait to get a copy on Blu-ray. To just watch. Oh, yeah. I, I think it could well be a film I, I I think I've watched Force Awakens since I've had it on Blu-ray, maybe once in different chunks. And there hasn't necessarily been a draw to keep going back and watching it over and over again when I thought I would. But I do think this might be one that where I do because I think it it will be a a film that kind of progresses in your own mind as you watch it and you get more from it it's quite subtle i think
1: yeah something i said on facebook recently which sort of ties into that this this movie felt like it was made for my generation whereas the force awakens i can go and see that and enjoy it and it continues the saga and that's great but it didn't necessarily feel like it was my generation star wars um you know again i can enjoy it mm-hmm. but it didn't feel quite right and i can i can agree with you i've watched it i think once since i bought the disc as well i'm very pleased i have the disc i will watch it again in the future but i haven't watched it over and over and over and over i do think i'll watch this over and over and over and over just because it mm. it's got that childhood feel to it you know this is this is my star wars in quotation marks
0: mm. i think it definitely merits a a second cinema viewing i feel there's there's so much that's sort of been densely packed into it that I feel I've probably missed things, uh, <laughs> and I I really would like to go back and just watch it again and and really try and take it all in again, probably in a slightly more
2: awake state as well, which would probably help. <laughs> Did you find yourself checking off a lot of the um alien species? You know, are, are, are yeah, there's Twi- yeah. There's, there's Twileks in there, wasn't there? And um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the squid heads or whatever they are, what are they called, mm-hmm. Rob? Would you remember?
1: Oh, I always colloquially say "squidhead" myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> can't remember the call.
2: They live on the same planet, calamari as the calamari Mon- or something. They live on the same planet as a calamari, don't they? I think they live in water or something.
1: They do. And to my shame, I can't think of their name. Oh, that's terrible! <laughs> you bad fans.
2: <laughs> it begins with a Q. No, oh, I can't
1: remember. Uh, are they Quaran? 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 Yes. That's there it. we go. Yeah we are, yeah.
2: But we were we had a very brief conversation, didn't we, Rob, on um Facebook uh I don't think it was earlier today. Well, hour today anyway. It was yesterday for you. Um <laughs> about uh our our brains, our old adult brains. I mean I certainly remember l- l- so much about the original trilogy that but I cannot kind of recall stuff so much stuff about the prequels or anything like that. I mean, that's just the way the brain works, isn't it? It's open to these things when you're younger. But this oh, kind exactly. of... I, I found myself thinking of the species names as I was watching the film and thinking, ooh,
1: I do know a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm the same with Doctor Who. I can remember things from shows I've watched 30 years ago better than I can remember things that happened a se- series or two ago on telly. So, yeah, I know where you're coming from. I have a question about this film, and it's something that, that Sean shone for me and that's the way Mm. the rebel alliance don't seem to be as cohesive or shiny happy family as um as they've perhaps been portrayed in the past there were there was disagreement between them arguing it didn't feel like maybe we've we've thought the rebel alliance is is meant to be Cassian Andor executes his informant (laughs) early on in the film yeah that was pretty brutal wasn't it you know and perhaps this is a more realistic rebel alliance but did you sense it was a different in some ways, Rebel Alliance to what you've seen in the past?
0: I think um, maybe it's my way of trying to on it, but to me it seemed like they were a bit more raw and ragged because they hadn't really scored a really big victory they probably have in, in Rebels or whatever, but um, it perhaps they're uh, perhaps a bit more together um, in A New Hope because they've actually managed to get hold of these plans and it feels like the tide is turning a bit but yeah they do seem a bit disparate and not necessarily cohesive as a as a force at this point
2: i think i think i think you've hit the nail on the head mark i think that what is so clever about the plot in this film and uh the things that it makes sense of from the original star wars films that this was a sequence of events that this film sets off. So (laughs) Star Wars is literally the sequel to rogue one. Um, Yeah. Or or a new hope. Um, It's, it's almost like the rebel Alliance become focused because all of a sudden this sequence of events kicks off uh, with, you know, uh, the plans being grabbed and, you know, they're trying to fly across the, the galaxy to get the plans to the rebel Alliance. And, and they managed to catch the ship, and that's the beginning of A New Hope. Um, but that's all started with this film. So there's not a lot else the Rebel Alliance can do apart from pull together and make sure that that happens. Um, all of a sudden, they've all got to pull you know, pull together and, and make sure that they destroy the Death Star, essentially. Um, and I guess that's why they feel so much more polarised in A New Hope. I mean that, yeah, like you say, that's retconning it. It's, but it, but I think, uh, I think Rob's right. I think it's a very different Rebel Alliance from what we're aware of. It's a far more uh, mercenary um, and disorganized and fractious thing, um, which is, as you say, is probably more realistic and makes for a meatier story, certainly, and certainly meatier characters as well. On the uh, subject of characters, what do
0: we think? Of the uh the main bad guy um who I've already forgotten his name, going back to what Rob was saying about being able to remember stuff from uh, this thirty is odd years
1: ago. Orson Cranick. That's the chap. Well, I'll I'll jump in first, being the uh the Australian here, played by an Australian in the form <laughs> of Ben Mendelssohn. Mm-hmm. Orson Cranick is a fantastic character. My wife is absolutely in love with him. She she came out of that film and said, you know. She's American, so she said, "You know, I need I need some action figures of of that guy. I, I need some action figures." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll get you some action figures." Uh, she goes, "He looks pretty good for an old guy, don't you think?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, he does. He's he's great." Uh,
0: but for- this possibly explains why Donald Trump ended up where he is now. Anyway, <laughs> digressing.
1: So, <laughs> for me, I thought he was a perfect imperial officer. Um, you know the 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 arrogance, the needing to be um acclaimed for his Death Star success, to the point where he even flies off to see Darth Vader to tell him, "Go and tell the Emperor, I did this," you know. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. the arrogance! This is so imperial officer. This is exactly how I think they are, and the way he uh, bickers and fights also with uh, Tarkin. You know, uh, yeah, they're not a shiny, happy, cohesive family either. The Empire, they're all out mm-hmm. for their own you know, glory as well. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, he is a great actor. I, if anyone has Netflix, watch the two seasons of bloodline that are out there. He plays an amazing character in bloodline, uh, but he's done so many great films as well. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough of Ben Mendelsohn or Mendo, as I like to call him.
2: <laughs> Simon. Um, it was a brilliantly written character. I know that. Um, and certainly a brilliantly written bad guy. um, is that there's that word of advice I keep hearing about when you when you write your bad guys you've got to write them that they believe or as far as they're concerned they're the good guys Mm. and and a lot of the time the way they behave comes from a belief that they are doing the right thing And, and I got I very much got that from that character I mean to the point where there were gray areas where I wasn't quite sure which way he was going to go I didn't know whether he was actually going to end up helping by the end of the film. Because there was that um, duplicity to him, um, and also you know the, the fact there was a relationship with um, uh, Jen's father. Um, it, it, it was it was just you know it just a really lovely, meaty, uh, multi-dimensional—is that the word—character who you know he was living and breathing on the screen because you could see mm-hmm. him making decisions in his head as as he has he got to things and that's not something we're used to seeing in star wars not really no, no. everyone's very black and white and uh, probably han solo has been the most complex character we've had mm-hmm. um, and that's that was mainly from harrison ford kind of injecting that as far as i'm aware
1: yeah and i i definitely agree it, they don't see themselves as evil or the best bad guys and and, you know, um, Krennic doesn't see himself as evil either at the very start of the film when he's trying to encourage, well, encourage, he's trying to get Jin's father back to the uh, the Empire. He's saying, you know, come back and do this for the good of the Empire, as if the Empire is a really great thing. And I, I guess a lot of people compare the Empire to, mostly to Nazis in terms of the uniforms, mm-hmm. the way they act and so on. But I also think of the Roman Empire as well. You know, I could imagine a, a Roman being very proud of their Empire and do this for the Empire, but of course if you're one of the oppressed peasants in one of the far off you know lands they've conquered maybe you don't think the empire is so great so you know i can totally buy into the fact he believes in the empire and probably doesn't think it's evil at all they they're bringing peace to the galaxy i think even might have been one of the uh quotes
0: mm-hmm. it goes to show how unspoiled i was i didn't even realize that Mad mickelson was in the film so it was a a real surprise to see him and i i really like him as an actor i thought he was very good
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, he didn't get a lot of screen time, but when he was on, he was absolutely solid, completely believable, um, which allowed you to feel real sympathy at the end when, uh, well, mm-hmm. not near the end, well, near the end, when Jin um, runs over to him as he's dying. You, you haven't seen these characters together a lot, but you still felt there was a real relationship there, and he was someone absolutely to be mourned for.
0: Mm hmm. We haven't really spoken about Jin, have we? Uh, What did you think of her as a character? Uh, I guess there are going to be parallels with Rey from uh, The Force Awakens. I thought she was very well uh, portrayed by the actress.
2: Yeah, I I, I can't fault her, really. Um, As I said before, she wasn't giving away a lot initially well do you know what it is it's because when we're, we're so used to seeing i suppose emotional female characters on on screen so when you get somebody who's very controlled and she's a survivor you know she's not going to give much away um you know it, it comes as something you, you sort of you i don't know whether you expect female characters to to behave a certain way you know you get you do get it's the stereotypes we're talking about, which is what makes this film and, and certainly The Force Awakens so important and so real. you know, just, just so timely. I think I just, yeah, brilliant, strong character, really. Um, and certainly her story through through the film, um, she takes a journey. I don't know, I was trying, I was trying to make sense of her death at the end, um, and whether that it was something. I don't know but i suppose nobody deserves to die but was was it kind of resolving something was it you know was she Was it some kind of absolution for her father i don't know i i was trying to figure it out probably thinking too much about it really but i was trying to resolve in my head the fact that she does she ends up dying for the cause but maybe the fact is the fact that she has found a cause and found something to live for which is the completion of her story. I suppose that's what I'm trying to think of: is that is does her story completely become fulfilled? Does she do what she needs to do, and then she can die sort of peacefully? I, I don't know. I'm probably thinking far too much about it.
1: No, I I I think so. I think it is it is the end of her story. So what happens is probably for the best. I was kind of confused as to how her and Cassian are running around having these fights. they they're full of um, vim and vigor. This uh, tsunami of land floating to or flying towards them, they've got some time to find a shuttle or to find a ship and get away. They've got the energy to do it. Um, But they just sort of sit down on the beach and think, oh, well, we're stuffed, you know, and just wait for it to happen. Uh, It seemed slightly. In trying to draw out the moment, I think they they made it last too long and was making me think, just just get up and find a shuttle. <laughs> There's ships all around this place. Give it a go. <laughs> um, they seem to give up too easily. If it ha- perhaps happened a little bit quicker, it might have seemed more realistic. But then again, if it happened a little bit quicker, you wouldn't have had the same emotion that they're about mm. to die and the screen's going to, um, you know, just blow out to white as it does um, it's only a small criticism, and I I, I don't like criticising the film because I actually quite liked it. I um, I really liked it, but I guess if we're just trying to find things to, to, to talk about and to nitpick a little and get into the the, the plot, that's that's one area that I um, picked up on.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about plot points and, and things that perhaps didn't necessarily sit well, this does a pretty decent job of explaining what for some more picky people would would um, perhaps suggest as a major plot point from the original Star Wars movie is the fact they've got this exhaust port, <laughs> which is such a, an absolute um, design flaw that's going to cause the thing to, to blow up if you, if you aim a rocket at it. Um, and it's explaining this, that it was actually uh, put in there on purpose as a way to destroy the weapon.
2: That was, yeah. it was it. Was it was great. I think it. It on paper, I'm not sure whether that, whether I would think it was a good idea or not. But in action, I I thought it was really great. I thought it was really good, really clever, and adds depth to um, Jin's father as well. And um, you know, we all know that there are there were situations, and there are situations like that in wartime where you'll get somebody who's literally working for something they don't believe in, and and they you know they work from the inside out to to try and kind of scupper their plans because that because they're protecting the family and uh, they're protecting their own lives um so yeah it felt felt a very real thing and it's a very very clever piece of writing if you ask me
1: yeah, I was delighted that was in the film. So forevermore, no one will be able to point at that exhaust port and say, "Why was that there?" That's quite silly. Uh, it's it's part of the story now, and I think that's great.
0: I don't think, as Simon said, it fleshes out that the character, um, played by Mads Mikkelsen, and just although he's working for the Empire, he, you know, he is not necessarily an evil person, and. Um, Gives you a slightly different view of the the universe that we've seen so far. Um, I mean, we haven't mentioned Darth Vader yet. How cool was it to see him back on screen?
2: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was. It was just great, really. Um, and of course, I that's, think they used him fairly sparingly, didn't they? I think so. Yeah, I think they could have gone really overboard with it. Um, I, I, I like the fact that we saw Darth Vader in full pathological mode of uh, <laughs> yeah. slaughtering those soldiers, um, which was, well, you know, horrible. But at the same time, you you just got an impression of, yeah, that's, that's him at his full power. Mm. Um, you have that danger, don't you, of the fact that this is happening supposedly before the original films and he's doing a lot more than he has done, you know, mm. than he does in the films. But I, I think it kind of works. I, I guess he's, you know, he's older by that point. Um, do they? They give the impression there's even less of him, don't they? When you see him in that. Well, yeah, pod. it's quite
0: a reveal, isn't it? When you when you see him for the first time in the movie.
1: Mm. Absolutely, in the back to tank there. But I was going to say yes. Mm. When we watch these films back to back in the future, he'll he'll have seemed a lot calmed down at the start of episode four than what he was <laughs> five minutes earlier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it out of his system. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. Um, I can't remember the actor's name. I don't know how you pronounce it. Alan Tudyk, is it? <laughs> that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, bloke from Firefly, uh, yeah. who obviously was the voice of the robot. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't actually made that connection at all.
1: Sorry, sorry, guys. You just broke up there a bit for me. I, I missed it. I think you were talking about Alan Tudyk being the voice of the robot.
2: That's how you say it. Yeah. I was saying it a slightly different way, which the emphasis was slightly different and gave a completely <laughs> different. <laughs> um, yes. So, so the delivery from the robot was, it wasn't just the lines, it was the delivery as well, very dry and um, great. We've not seen a, have we seen a droid behave like that?
1: I imagine that's how IG-88 probably kind of operated. In some of the video games like Knights of the Old Republic you certainly have droids that have personalities and uh, sort of wisecracking or a bit evil and and such so they've been seen before uh, in in some ways
2: Mm. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay.
0: So where do you think we're going to head off next? So we've got the Han Solo movie it's going to be the next of these spin-offs do you think that's going to directly tie in with this or is that just going to be its own thing? That seems to be the impression I'm getting not that I've really read any spoilers.
1: Well, I guess to be a younger Han Solo, um, he has to be younger than he was in A New Hope. And, of course, Rogue One and A New Hope are basically happening around the same day sure. or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably, it's 10 years earlier than, than this. So, mm-hmm. um, obviously, the, um, the Republic has fallen. Stormtroopers will look like Stormtroopers. TIE Fighters will look like TIE Fighters. It will have this feel... Uh, but I don't think it will tie into these events. The the rebellion will be m- much more small time than it is here. Um, they might not even have X wings yet. Who knows? You know, mm. um, will he be even involved with the rebellion? I assume not. Although it might be a thing out there in the universe. Will they keep the backstory that has been peddled in the past that he was an Imperial officer, um, didn't like how the Wookiees were being treated, rescued Chewbacca, and they went off to have adventures. They may keep that. They may um, do something completely different. I really have no idea, and I'm I'm quite open minded about it, which I didn't think once upon a time I would be because how can you replace Harrison Ford? But yeah, quite. I'm I'm willing to go with it because uh, Han Solo is one of my favorite characters in in all the Star Wars films. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I don't know where I've picked up various bits and pieces. My understanding of of Han Solo he, was he was. Uh, conscripted into the into the Imperial forces, wasn't he? He was an ex-stormtrooper at once, or was he trained up I, as a stormtrooper?
1: I always read it as he was an officer or in officer training at the uh, Imperial Academy, which in the Star Wars universe is no weird thing. You know, Luke wants to go off to the Academy. By the Academy, he means the Imperial Academy, you know, because mm. it's, it's it's what you do. Uh, the Empire mm. is the ruling body, and you, you go off there. You're not... You're not thinking, I'm going off to be evil at this place. You you think, well, that's the Imperial Academy where you go to get a job and, you know, join the army, basically. Or mm, well, mm. the Navy, really.
2: Well, I was going to say how timely this film is to a degree uh, with a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world. Um, I, I found myself thinking, do I want to watch a war mo- at, at this very point in time, do I want to watch a war movie? Um, and as it was, I felt it, I th- I felt it was por- important because it was well told. Yeah, yeah, it just works so well for me. And what I hope, what would be really nice, and I think appropriate for a Han Solo movie, um, is if that is the case, so we're seeing a young Han who is uh, in the academy. That we are seeing some parallels. We're, we're. I think we're probably talking Hitler Youth sort of situations mm. with the young being taken into the forces. And this this kind of normalization thing that that I hope isn't isn't going on, where people start thinking that this kind of thinking that we're seeing um, in the world today is is not normal. And like you say, you know, you've got characters like Han and Luke wanting to join the academy because you know that that's what you do. No thought about what the what the what that actually entails and whether it's morally correct um and i think it's a really good opportunity to address that sort of thing within the movie um and that will give you a whole emotional point and certainly give you you know the reasons why han would have left and gone on his own and become you know become a smuggler and um and probably you know decided to drop out basically
1: yeah, at the I at so. the time of A New Hope, and even ten years earlier, when this Han Solo film might be set, the Empire is the status quo. You know, you think of Luke in A New Hope saying, "You you know of the rebellion against the Empire?" Like, wow, like that that's really out there. That's something he would have never considered in his life, uh, mm. because it's just not the status quo. It's not what you do. Um, so yeah, there could be some interesting um, stories to be told in there. I think I agree. What about you, Mark?
0: Yeah, I think it's um, the fact that you've got these two um, streams of movies coming out. It's kind of it's very clever from Disney's point of view in terms of they're trying their best to to please everyone. And I think certainly my take on uh, certainly Rogue One is that it's primarily aimed at slightly more mature fans, shall we say? Um, but obviously kids are going to going to want to go and see it. Um, but also you've got the um, the Saga series that's still rolling on, and that's kind of got a life of its own. So the fact you've got these offshoots um, gives you the flexibility to tell different stories, and, um, I mean, you could have a Han Solo story that's got no real kind of direct connection to what's gone on in any of the other films. It could just be his kind of adventures as a smuggler and uh, getting into scrapes and things. And, you
2: know, I think it's it's really exciting.
0: I, I really look forward to seeing them.
2: And to
1: bring and it ironic, back.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, ironically, you almost get the Indiana Jones situation where you could have a series of Han Solo movies. Now they've got mm-hmm. a younger actor. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and to bring it back to what I was talking about at the start of this podcast, the books, the extended universe books, that's exactly what they did. You had different stories being told. There were ones where the big three characters were in there. You had ones like Rogue Squadron where it was lesser characters. You had ones that did different things and took you to different places. And reading the extended universe as a whole gave you a feeling that i think people will now get through the films as we have both the saga films and the anthology films and it becomes this much bigger wider more diverse universe where loads of stuff happens and it's not just about what the skywalker family's up to this week let's
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to go back to how did you feel about things like the the um oh were they called death squad troopers is it the death the the black ones
1: Yes, the new look that walk around with Orson Krennic, uh, I think they were calling them Death Troopers or or something along those lines. Yeah. When things like this get introduced, I think, oh, I've not seen them in in A New Hope, so how do they exist here and not there? And my brain goes a bit funny. But once I get over that hurdle, I thought, oh, that's a pretty interesting design. They're similar, I guess, to what I think they called Shadow Troopers in some of the games, which were basically Stormtroopers painted Mm -hmm. black. Um, Yeah. They were they were pretty cool. They were like um, Krennic's Praetorian Guard, almost, you know, just getting around with him. <laughs> I I quite like the U fighters,
2: the U-wing fighters. Yeah, um, they were cool because they, you know, they they made sense as being like a progression of the the Jedi starfighters, weren't they? If when yeah. you look at them, they're kind of very similar to the one that Anakin's flying around in uh, Revenge of the Sith. But I did keep thinking it was Butt Rogers' starfighter from <laughs> the 25th century really similar I, I just out of interest I thought I oh, can't be right I can't be right and I put them next to each other in Photoshop and they're really similar <laughs> profiles even the engines at the back are really similar really it could odd.
1: be it could be quite deliberate in a homage kind of way um, yeah maybe Someone else has said to me that the Ghost, which is the ship from Star Wars Rebels that the, the crew gets around on, makes yeah. an appearance somewhere in the film as well. Maybe it's in the background of a shot or something. Um, I'll I'll have to investigate that further. There's apparently a lot of Easter eggs, many more than the the obvious ones that we've all clocked already.
2: Okay. That's like they, they put the ship from Shadows of the Empire into um, the special edition of Star Wars, didn't they?
1: Exactly. Taking off from Mos Eisley, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. But um, Of course, this is the first film uh, that hasn't
0: um, had John Williams doing the, the, the music. What what did you guys think of that?
1: Well, his older themes made it into newer pieces of music. In fact, when you look at the um, the run list for the new soundtrack, it, you see all the names mm. of the tracks, and in brackets next to maybe half of them is, you know, featuring blah, 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 blah by John Williams. So yeah, yeah. he he does sneak in there here and there. Um On the whole, I thought the music was pretty good, and given that I didn't really rate William's effort on Force Awakens, I didn't think that was a particularly strong soundtrack at all. It relied too much Mm -hmm. on the older themes, and the newer stuff wasn't that memorable to me at all. People say, well, what about Ray's theme? I I say, well, how does Ray's theme go? I have no idea. Nothing in that soundtrack (laughs) that was new stood out to me. So. Um, it's it's a fairly low bar for this new composer to be up against because mm. I think Williams' recent output, although this is sacrilege to say, apparently just wasn't very good. You know, I I hope he has a much better return to form for Episode uh, Eight of the Saga Stories. So, is it mm. going to be John Williams for Episode Eight then? Yes, is that confirmed? Yes, it is.
0: Oh, right. okay.
2: Mm. Mm. Any thoughts, think, Simon? Well, we I think we looked at each other, or, or we certainly mentioned it after the film. About the music, that I mean, I didn't really notice the the, the soundtrack until the little motifs started appearing mm-hmm. um, that we already knew. But I think we both mentioned afterwards because, of course, we didn't have the crawl at the start, did we? We didn't have the yellow yeah. writing going up the screen, which was really interesting. The fact they went straight into the action, which I loved, um, and there was no big uh, delay at the start or anything like that. And of course, the title came up, and then there was that really weird almost like ktl does star wars uh where <laughs> oh it was it was just like a it, it was just like an, a slightly altered star wars theme you know where you know where they where they make that come up with these themes on um on comedy shows where it just supposed to sound a bit like no. star wars but it isn't star wars yeah yeah I we're not breaking copyright last
0: i'm just checking that.
2: yeah <laughs> but, sorry um, rob i interrupted you well no, no. lovely lovely bits of music in the um in uh oh what planet were they on? Oh I'm trying to think. You know, in the town, there was all that music in the background which kind of reminded mm. me of um the Cantina and Jabba's Jabba's Palace. Yeah. Going on in the background. Yeah. That's the stuff I love. Where it mm-hmm. does literally sound like another planet before they started introducing awful soul and um I don't know, mm. you know the special edition stuff they put into Jabba's Palace. Yeah. Yeah, that was an unusual choice. Mm, mm. I liked, you know, the space jazz. I mean, yeah, of course they listen to space jazz. <laughs> but, um, you know, are we going to get more Ewok spin-off films? That's what I want to know. Oh, I've just remembered something <laughs> else I really liked in the film was the inclusion of Bail Organa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy, can't remember. Jimmy Smits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, That immediately ties it into the prequels, which is going to shut everyone up. And it's like, yeah, the prequels are canon. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought he was a seriously underused character in the the prequels, if you ask me. He could have been really, you know, have a lot more to do rather than just be uh, Yoda's taxi driver. Yeah,
1: he could have done heaps more. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't get to do much in this one, but there were some nice lines about him knowing a Jedi or who could possibly help out. That mm. was nice. Mm. Uh, then, of course, mm. he's like, I'm off to Alderaan. No, no, Bail, you really don't, don't want to go there. <laughs> Come back.
2: <Yeah.
0: laughs> I know, yeah. No, it, we, I think it's fair to say we, we really enjoyed it. I know, Rob, you, you like to rate things, don't you? And I think you gave it a, an 8 out of 10.
1: I gave it a very solid 8 out of 10. That's right. I came home and recorded mm-hmm. a, a very bleary-eyed uh, video for you, uh, not YouTube, for Facebook. You know, ugh, give it an 8 out of 10. Good night. You know, I'm out here. <laughs> um, and and I stand by that. It's not a perfect film, um, you know, but what film is, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. even really like putting a rating on it, to be honest. But if I had to, it's it's a solid 8 out of 10. It's a great film. I enjoyed it very much. It's um how I imagined battles to be in the Star Wars universe when I was a kid playing with my toys, you know. Mm-hmm. It um it ticked all the right boxes for me. Thumbs up.
0: I think one of Simon, my favorite quotes of Simon's when we've done the Blue Box podcast together is he's talking about music and he'll he'll say that the uh, often the eight out of ten uh, albums are uh, are the best ones.
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same with films. I, I think I, I can't really think of a perfect film there's probably they are probably perfect films that are highly rated in general you know where people just say oh, it's just a brilliant perfect film uh, a lot of people say back to the future is a perfect film isn't it supposedly um mm. it's a great film um but no I'm completely with rob 8 out of 10 is is about right i don't think it's a 9 yeah. out of 10 which suggests that it's near to perfect perfection because it 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 doesn't it doesn't kind of scream from the rooftops so what i love about it is that it is subtle when it needs to be yeah. um and it's a you know it's a slow burner in that respect and i think you know as rob said we we're, we're going to come back to this and watch it again and again and again yeah. we'll probably get a lot more out of this film than than most star wars films really um so a really the,
0: solid film just you
2: yeah, it delivers on everything you
0: expect yeah. um, a little bit more yeah
2: absolutely and i mean who wants to hit the top anyway you know if we're going to get more of these films and as you say it, you know maybe we'll get some more sort of comedic films um, we'll get some I hope we don't get to how we don't get the Deadpool of Star Wars films I really do I, I, I hope that there, there is a a kind of a level maybe where the Marvel films hit where they're not too gruesome or anything like that I think I think, I think this... Disney
0: would would have a pretty uh, firm hand on the tiller when it comes to making decisions like that I can't imagine them yeah. going too far off because I was convinced I
2: saw a stormtrooper's leg come off in one of the explosions, and I don't know whether that was just the way it was filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, ooh. And then I thought, oh, no, maybe I didn't see that. Maybe it's just the way it looked. And I thought, ooh. I think that's...
1: I think the, um, the closest we might get to Deadpool territory is if there was a, a standalone Boba Fett film or something. Yeah. You know, he deals in pretty pretty dark, nasty stuff. But I agree, too, that mm. Disney wouldn't let it go too far. But I think if any of the characters would deliver a a, a really dark film, it's probably Boba Fett.
0: Mm, mm. I think there's a lot of scope for a a Bounty Hunter movie. Obviously, Boba Fett being the the fan favourite, I think that could be really exciting. Yeah. So it'd be
2: be cool to see what they can come up with. Mm, mm, Absolutely. As long as we're not going to get a Leia movie. Which I would like if they if they cast someone else, but if she's going to walk around with a plastic head all the time, I'm not sure it's going to work.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because they did a standalone layer comic, which we were reviewing back in the days when the Who Wars podcast existed, and mm-hmm. it was it was a bit of a bore. It wasn't a great comic, and this was a chance, you know, with a, with just a limited mini series, let's tell a great layer story, and it just wasn't that interesting. So you know, it does give pause for thought with how they should treat someone like like Leia. You know, um, they can obviously do female protagonists well. I mean, look at these last two Star Wars films have had, mm, yeah. but the Leia comic just was not good at all. Um, I'd I'd really hope they'd put some thought into it, because um, it's
2: a missed missed opportunity.
1: It was big time.
2: I mean, you know, theoretically, all of these characters could be uh, expanded upon. Lando. Um, who else? Yeah, which is even some of the minor characters. I think that's probably possibly what people want to look for. I mean, it's worked for Marvel. I mean, you think about Guardians of the Galaxy when that when they first announced that, I couldn't believe that because I mean, mm. um, Guardians of the Galaxy was a backup strip in the old Star Wars Weekly. Um, completely different lineup. I think you um, and the original Star Lord strip was in Star Wars Weekly as well. That's a nice little mm-hmm. segue, isn't it? Um, but to take some of these sort of slightly unknown characters is a lot of the time is more interesting than going for the big guys. So well, I know
0: a friend of the show,
1: Ben Schneider, will be desperately hoping for a Dengar movie. I was just going to say Dengar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Lando, he will pop up in the young Han Solo film. So he's, yeah, he's, he's covered off there. That's, uh, okay. isn't it
0: strong. Don Glover? They've got to, to play
1: him. I think so, yeah. I mean, because the guy's been out there tweeting about it. It's not a, like a big secret mm-hmm. or anything. So uh, that that's one piece of information I do know about it, yeah. even though I'm trying to stay unspoiled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do they do a Lobot movie?
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could be with a chance there. <laughs> I've got my headphones on. I look vaguely, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, guys, I think we've pretty much covered as much as we can of, of Rogue One what we like to do at the end of the show is just to, to get a few recommendations from our guests uh, for the listeners to check out. So I'm gonna put Rob on the spotlight first. Have you got anything you'd like to share with us?
1: Oh, I, I do. It's quite timely, too. Um, in the mm-hmm. last uh, week or so, I believe, because my wife gave me the news, we've heard that Marco Polo, the um, Netflix series, has been axed And Ah, this is a huge shame because Marco Polo is my recommendation. Um, If you've got Netflix, look up Marco Polo. Mm -hmm. There's two seasons of it. It's fantastic. Um, Kublai Khan. No, not Kublai Khan. Hang on. (laughs) Oh, yes, it is Kublai Khan. You can edit this, Mark. (laughs) Kublai Khan is played by uh, Benedict Wong, who, who many people will know now from the Doctor Strange film. And yeah. you have Marco Polo turn up as a young Venetian. He is played by an Italian actor. And unlike the Hollywood trend to uh, to cast people of uh, not the correct race in these roles, mm. this film is packed to the rafters with Asian actors because they're, they're, they're up in China. It's fantastic. It's all in English. Um, you know, mm. I, I sometimes wonder whether people think, oh, that might be a, a foreign sort of production. It is made overseas, but it is full of people speaking English great storylines um and it just never took off maybe the first yeah, episode or two is a bit slow and doesn't draw people in but by the time you get mm-hmm. halfway through the first season by the end of the first season you're loving it i love the second season but now it's all canned and that's a that's yeah. a great shame it it um apparently resulted in a 200 million dollar loss for netflix wow um so I must you must admit it's on my to watch list but i haven't got around to watching it so it's
0: it's
1: yeah, yeah. look, my wife and I loved every minute of it. It was a huge co-production, the Weinstein Company and Netflix. It should have done big business, and it just didn't, and it's so strange because it's like it's like Game of Thrones but real life. Um, You know, uh, what can I say? And Simon?
2: I'm going to – isn't so much a recommendation – well, it's a recommendation in as much as we've got the brand-new Dirt Gently series on Netflix mm-hmm. – Um, And admittedly, I've only watched the first two episodes, I think. I think I've just started into the second episode. And I was just going to recommend people to kind of leave your expectations at the door. It's another one of those. The amount of Douglas Adams fans I've seen ranting on Facebook saying this is an insult to Douglas Adams. Uh, It's nothing like Dirt Gently. It's nothing like the books, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. It was never going to be that. Um, and the way I see it is they've taken the Dirt Gently character, picked him up and plumped him in, in, in America. And again, going back to the violence, it's a little bit too violent for my liking. I don't I don't actually know why it's quite as bloodthirsty as it is because it kind of doesn't sit right with the Douglas Adams humour. And there's me saying, oh, it should be more Douglas Adams. But I think because you've got this character in the centre of it all who is, I think he's pretty much behaving like he does in the books in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It's, kind of doesn't sit right with the other stuff that's going on, but it is quite nice in that he's kind of this little, pla- this little um, kind of place of calm in amongst all this kind of violent chaos that's going on around him. But what I was going to say was that just approach it um, with a clear, with a clear mind, and let mm-hmm. it be what it wants to be because I think it actually works really well, and some of the writing is just amazing. Um, and I think some if again without courting uh, kind of severe opinions on things if you're a fan of kind of the fast and quick and all over the place kind of Stephen Moffat style of writing then I think you really enjoy it because it is incredibly complex but Mm. it's really quite beautiful in places I think I think as far as the writing is concerned so I'm hooked, and I'm going to keep keep watching it. Um, but I do think it's a it's an animal of its own. I don't think, I don't think you're going to do yourself any favors by expecting it to be the Dirk Gently that you know and possibly you've mm-hmm. seen in the on the British television program. It's it's a different thing altogether. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I think it works
1: really well. And, of course, features Samuel Barnett, who is my choice for the next Doctor in Doctor Who. Has been for about five years, by the way. Um, I try and say this on every podcast and write it in every place <laughs> I can so that when it finally have happens... Have got some money on at the bookies? <laughs> well, I should. When it finally happens, yeah. I can point back to all these places and say, yes, see, told you, told you. Um, <laughs> I, I have even told Samuel Barnett he should be the next Doctor on Twitter. He wrote back and said, wouldn't that be dreamy? So, um, you know, I've already well, put the thought in you heard it here first, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's
2: quite a it's quite a, a coupling of him and um, Elijah Wood. It just works really, really well. Uh, the casting is brilliant, and the acting is brilliant, um, and it's it's very, very funny in places. Um, again, I've heard people saying, "Well, it's not Douglas Adams' humor," but I think what they've done mm-hmm. is taken the core idea, this idea of um, everything being connected, and taken it to, to a uh, taken it to an extreme, really, where it is it's just it, it comes across as mad but then things start making sense in your own head i've already kind of worked out a couple of things that are going on mm. um it's very very complex but but i think it works
0: my wife amy is a huge douglas adams fan and uh i think she's watched the first couple of episodes and i think she's of a similar mind to you so i mean you've got to kind of leave expectations at the door and just Approach it for for what it is Um, She's a huge fan of Richard Schiff So that certainly helps to keep her interest
1: (laughs) The thing is too That uh, we've already had a series Of Dirk Gently So you know certain things have already been done And so the books are their Mm. own thing And the previous series is its own thing This is a new thing And so I've embraced it that way myself too
0: Mm -hmm. Well I think this is going to be a hat trick Of Netflix recommendations This is you know Old news now because you know, it's been and gone and what have you, but I really enjoyed Luke Cage. Yes. Um, I didn't really know very much about the, the character at all, um, unlike you guys who are really into your comics, um, but I just picked it up and ran with it. I found it really, um, it's kind of the, the video equivalent of uh, a book you just can't put down. So because um, Netflix have this habit of dropping a whole ep- uh, whole series at a time. Um, it was compulsive viewing I really enjoyed it
1: Well you know when we talk B grade and C grade comic books Like uh, Simon was talking about Guardians of the Galaxy earlier And then becoming a massive movie mm. here's a a comic book um, star Who you know is is not a huge comic book star And yet it's been made into a wonderful series And perhaps the same can mm. be said of Iron Fist Which is coming up on Netflix as well I yeah. don't know whether you'd agree to Simon
2: Iron Fist yes um, it's, it's not one I read Really, like you say, it was quite an obscure character. So that my my experience of them was where they there were crossover episodes or you know issues where they would suddenly pop up in a Spider Man comic or something like that. Um, I seem to remember one. that was a really one with beautiful artwork where it was Spider Man, Black Widow, uh, Iron Fist, and somebody else. It was all versus the Silver Samurai. So you know, it's it they just popped up every now and again. He never really got to know them. But the interesting thing is that a character like Luke Cage, who um, who, uh, as far as I'm aware, was introduced for kind of uh, you know black representation in the comics, as was the original, was obviously Black Panther, and you got Black Panther mm-hmm. coming, and I'm really looking forward to that film. See, that was a character who never kind of grabbed my imagination in the comics, but I'm I'm so looking forward to the to the to the movie because of how they treated him in um, in Civil War i just thought oh this this you know it just it just really worked for me so um but yeah, yeah So, i mean it's it's kind of doubling back on the comics thing of of expanding these characters so that it probably feeds back into the comics again they get they're getting a, a new kind of revived interest mm-hmm. um but i've always i've always i've got a, a dream of bringing back the micronauts which was a, uh, a comic strip that was, you know, which came out off the back of the toys that came out in the, was it was it in the early 80s or late 70s? No, it was late 70s, wasn't it? It was around Star Wars time. Um, and uh, again, it was a backup strip in Star Wars Weekly and then it went into Star mm-hmm. Heroes Pocketbook here in the UK. Um, and I think it was revived a few years back by someone and that didn't work, but I still want to bring that one back. But again, it's these really odd, forgotten comics where you you then get this ability that you're saying about Douglas Adams the fact that people kind of try and restrict you they have expectations of what it's going to be because they're so successful you get you get comics like that where people not so many people know and you've got the you've got the ability to turn it into something new which I think is quite exciting
1: definitely and even you know iron man was a sort of a B-grade comic book uh, character back in the day. Kids would not believe that today if you told them that. Mm. You know, they just think of the movies and Robert Downey Jr. and how wonderful it is. But Iron Man was never top-tier, top-shelf comic book hero, uh, to my mind. And so that's that's another example, you know.
0: Well, on the subject of comic books, um, possibly um, embarrassing Rob just fractionally, um, I've been asked to say a huge thank you to Rob who... Uh, bid on a couple of Paul Cornell comics um, uh, which was uh, a thing that my wife has been doing for a while uh, which is uh, a charity auction page on Facebook uh, which is there to raise uh, funds for a uh, charity called Hope for HH Uh, it's called Book Auctions for Hope for HH if you seek it out on Facebook and uh, Rob was the lucky guy who won those Paul Cornell books and she just wanted to thank you for, uh, for your bid
1: Oh well, well, thank you. I I did the easy part. I just you know pulled out my PayPal account. It's, a- <laughs> yeah. it's Amy who's doing all the hard work and sourcing all the books and you know sending them off and all that sort of stuff. So thank you to Amy for doing this on behalf of the charity. That's uh, it's really great stuff.
0: Now that's that's good. Much appreciated. So I think that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you both so much for for coming on. Uh, it's been a little while since we had an episode out and. Uh... Hopefully it won't be too much longer
2: before we, we get another one. Well, thank you. I, just having the chance to talk about it is lovely. We don't really get... Uh, when we talk about uh, Star Wars films or anything outside of Doctor Who on um, on the Blue Box podcast, it's always a little bit of a side note. So it's nice to actually focus on it and um, and talk like a Star Wars fan with other Star Wars fans.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this is a chance to, to get a, a little plug in. Sorry, I should have done that at the start. But um, So, Simon, you can be heard regularly on the starburst blue box podcast i can as can you sporadically <laughs> every now and again yeah um and rob um you are uh the producer of a a pretty busy stream on uh on the old Podbean, uh the doctor who show
1: yes we chopped up the show into its core parts and so now it pops out at all different times of the month as different little segments for people to uh enjoy or hopefully enjoy but uh, I just wanted to say thank you for having me on this episode too, Mark. It's, a, it's great as the man who killed your podcast the last time I came on <laughs> to uh, be able to rectify that this time around. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I very I really heartily
0: recommend the Doctor Who show. Um, it's great. It's something for everyone. There's just such a great variety of um, different subjects and people who get involved. Um, my particular favourite, apart from obviously... Uh, rob and david do their their reviews which are very entertaining uh my my absolute favorite is ian martin's a to z of doctor who um
2: it's, <laughs> it's funny pant
1: wettingly funny yeah i uh i'm privileged to get those early obviously every month and i, I just sit here laughing as i you know listen to it before <laughs> i upload it it's it's fantastic
0: well thank you both so much and
2: uh well i i hope you're going to invite us back on when they do the salacious crumb movie
1: Oh yes, yes please.
2: <laughs> you hit it here first. Folks.
1: <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Thank you. Both.
2: Lovely. Thank you so much. That was great. Have a good fun. day. Have a good day, Rob, and yeah, sleep
1: something. well, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, it's all in front of me. Now it's just gone 10 a.m. I've got a whole Sunday to, to do stuff. It's fantastic.
2: I I did really well i did the whole podcast without taking issue with australians seeing Star Wars before us. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: cuz they
2: live in the yes. gym, It's not right, you know.
1: It's great. I can't can I can see-
2: in, in the old days though you you could you could take ownership of it because it, most of it was filmed in Pinewood, but you can't do that anymore.
1: No, no, not anymore. No, no. Well, we, we we could take ownership of two of the prequels, but we didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. You're not still recording, are you, mate? That's that
2: a might brilliant. Be
0: going as an Easter egg. I won't put the rest in. But that is a good
2: Easter egg. egg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thanks everyone. All right. Take yeah, care, yeah, guys. Bye. All right. Thank you. Cheers.